I have a message tonight you're not going to like. Oh, amen. That's the spirit, Pastor Caleb. That's why we let you sit in that chair right there. Because when nobody else is with me, Pastor Caleb says, oh, it's going to help me. <laughs> Seeing as how we're fasting with several other churches, we may be striking along some lines of discipline. And uh, we say a couple things about discipline. There's two verses I want to turn to, or two passages in particular. We've been saying a lot lately that a disciplined life is a better life. If you want to have a better life, you don't need more money. You need more discipline. I don't know if you know this or not. Discipline is free. But it sure does cost a lot. Discipline is free, uh, but it does cost you something. It costs you time. It costs you pleasure. It costs you comfort. It costs you a lot of things that are dear to you. But in the end, it will make you a better human being. And it will make your life more effective. And uh, as we look around and we see the spirit of chaos settling upon everything. It's the delusion of the last day. Um, as we see it, please don't believe you and I are going to be immune from the spirit of chaos. Uh, it's, it's thermodynamics. It's any system, any closed system without the input of outside energy will, will decay. That's, that's creation. That's a law of physics. Any system closed system. That could be your life. That could be an aquarium. That could be your house. Any closed system without the input of outside energy will decay. So we also call that the spirit of chaos. It's coming upon the whole earth. Governments are breaking down and deteriorating. Families in this once great nation are breaking down and deteriorating. Minds of some of the most brilliant people ever are breaking down and deteriorating because if you and I don't put effort or discipline into our lives, it's going to break down. Proverbs says, maybe it's Ecclesiastes, that uh, through much slumber, the house, the roof slumpeth in. Basically means if you neglect your house, it will become dilapidated. In these parts around here, you just drive out into the country a little bit, you see houses that were once great homesteads gorgeous old farmhouses that if somebody had kept it up and maintained it could sell for a million bucks today. But through a little bit of slumber here, a little bit of laziness there, the roof begins to sag in, the porch stoops and everything falls apart. So I call it the chaos spirit. I've been praying a lot about it, been seeing it a lot. It's coming upon every one of us. It doesn't mean we can't beat it, but we have to be aware that, uh, as we've said it over and over for years now, the current of the age is getting swifter and swifter against us. We're going to have to swim harder and harder against it. Uh, I've said, use the example of a boat, say a boat going upstream against Niagara Falls. If the, the current of the water is five miles an hour, that boat has to go at least five miles an hour to stay stagnant. If the boat wants to go anywhere else, it has to go six miles an hour or five plus. But what happens if all of a sudden the water goes a little swifter and the five miles an hour you and I were motorboating along with Christ 20 years ago, don't cut it no more. We're serving God, but it ain't happening because it's the spirit of the age is working against us more ferociously. And as we get towards the end of time, 
as it is with any waterfall, the closer you get to the waterfall, the steeper the pitch, the faster the current. And so now the five miles an hour from your Christian walk five years ago is not sufficient for today. You can still half-heartedly be serving God and going backwards into chaos and maybe hell. I don't know what your doctrine is. So we have to be mindful of the chaos of the age, the spirit of chaos. And if we take our rest just for a day or two, it catches up and consumes a lot of our hard work very quickly. You see this demonstrated in the curse in the garden. Apparently, before the curse, man could sow seed and things would come up easily. And the garden needed no cultivating, no uh, necessarily hoeing and weeding. But then the Lord said, because of the curse, through the sweat of thy brow, you're going to do the same work. So now you, you couldn't just cast seed and just take your ease. If most of us have gardened or farmed a little bit, you've got to cast your seed and for the first couple of weeks, look after it maybe every day, every other day. And then for sure, once it starts coming up, you're watching that garden every day. Because if you take your eye off it for just a little bit of time, especially in the heat of July or August, you could lose that garden in a day or two to weeds or grass, vermin, what have you. We're in the same stage. If you and I if we just take our ease, sometimes the holidays are bad for this. If we just take our ease for a week, vacations can be really bad for this. That's why even when we go on vacation, we should still discipline or exercise some kind of spiritual discipline, praying over our food, praying with our children, uh, streaming a service while we're away, just so to stay tagged up. That way we maintain a momentum or at least status quo. At least we didn't lose any ground. It's also one of the reasons why during COVID, even while we were shut down for six weeks, because that's all we were shut down. And we shut down again two, uh, a couple months later when like the whole church got COVID at once. <laughs> but by then we were experts at it. The first six weeks, we did every service live. So every Sunday school live, I pre-recorded nothing for service because I think that's cheap. I think that's a lazy preacher. Because that means he just bottlenecks all of his services on a Saturday, then spends the rest of the week golfing. So my personal judgment of that guy, lazy. We did every service live, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday morning worship, Sunday night live, Wednesday night live, and even corporate prayer, if you remember. We did it live so that we could stay in the discipline of coming to the house of God, even if it was just on our flat panel or our laptop at home. I told all of you, dress up, take your offering to the television so we could maintain the spiritual discipline. Because it wasn't going to last forever, and I didn't want us to miss a beat. So you know what? All the lazy churches lost 20 and 30 and 50% of their congregations in COVID. None of them have come back. And we grew. Because the way you beat chaos is discipline. The more chaotic it is, the more disciplined you have to be. And discipline takes work. And we're not really liking that too much in our generation. And so the more variables you have in your life, the more discipline you have to have. Otherwise, you can't juggle all of them. The more variables you have, the more disciplined you have to be. If you're struggling with one ball, you're not going to like having two. I just happened to catch a video of some lady from Cirque du Soleil, and she was juggling like 20 balls in this kind of V platform, and she'd just go... It was amazing. You had to watch it in slow motion to see what she was doing, and then they turn off the light, and they were glowing in the dark, and she was still juggling 20 balls. 
I can't hardly toss two back and forth. And this girl, obviously an acrobat, she could juggle 20 balls and bounce them multiple times before they touched her hand again. The more variables you have, the more disciplined you have to be. And if you want more variables in your life, you have to be disciplined with the current ones you have. You have to master the level that you're at before you can handle the next stage. If you're drowning now, you don't need anything else. We covered this last week when the Lord said from Deuteronomy in the book of Leviticus or Exodus, I'll give you the land little by little. He wanted his people to go into a land and grow into it. He couldn't give it to them all at once. The too many variables, they would drown with empty cities and the beasts of the field would well up and take them over. So God promised to give them the promise a little bit at a time. But the picture we see there is they would go into a territory and master it. Fill that city. Fill Jericho first or destroy it. Go to Ai. Fill it or destroy it. Inhabit those cities. Then take the next little bit. And then take the next little bit. And then take the next little bit. In fact, we find out it took almost 400 years for Israel to put their hand completely into the glove of Israel. I don't want to wait 400 years to have all the variables God wants to give me. You probably know I don't have 400 years, and neither do you. So we have to get discipline quickly, quickly, quickly. So the more the world around us breaks down, the more disciplined we're going to have to be. The more your neighbor falls apart, the more you're going to have to pick up their slack. Because if you can imagine being in a room full of people whose minds are undisciplined, it's going to pull on you mentally. It'll produce, I think we can catch that. I think we can envision that. If you were to be in a room, 20 people, just an empty room, you guys are going to sit around and talk about something, and all 20 of them, but you're the only person with a disciplined mind. Everybody else in there is paranoid, nervous, fearful, insecure. What kind of energy is that going to produce in that room? It's going to instantly pull on your mind and affect you. You can see it. The more society around us yields to chaos, the stricter we're going to have to be. We're not talking legalism. We're just talking sanity. I think most of us have been around people whose minds are undisciplined, and you can feel the squirreliness on it. I think we've all been around somebody, and just sitting next to them or talking to them make your head feel like it was spinning. I talk about this from time to time. That's a spirit of delusion. That's a, uh, a spirit of confusion. It's an undisciplined mind. When you walk in mental peace because you discipline your mind, you can pick up on that really quick. And I really feel bad for those people who can't even tell their mind is drifting. It, to them, they're in phase with it. So it's like, why, why is pastor, why is Chris so far away? Why is he so far away? Why isn't he with me? And I'm sitting here back, back in the Peaceville going, there they go. There they go. There they go. There they go. And so they circle back around the orbit here. Oh, pastor likes me again. Look, he, he, he's with me again. I love pastor. Pastor's awesome. Wait, wait, where's pastor going? Where's pastor going? And I'm just sitting here going, Lord, I've taught them for 15 years. They had Pastor Vaughn before that for 15 years. Whew, they must like the merry-go-round. One of the dumbest rides ever invented. Why stand in line to ride that at Dollywood? I have no idea. To go up and down on some unicorn or some tiger with the irritating music that just makes you want to throw something. Mirrors everywhere. Yay. 
but some people live there. Now imagine being in a room full of people whose minds do that. And then imagine those people in control of schools, churches, governments, businesses. The more the world becomes that, and it's already there, the more disciplined you and I have to be. We can't afford to be loose. We can't afford to be lax. God is our rest, because I can already hear maybe some of the arguments. Well, when do we relax? You don't. You relax when you close your eyes to go to bed. And your alarm is set, not at 9.45 in the morning, when you go to bed at 10. Nobody needs that much sleep unless you just had surgery and ran a marathon. <laughs> you go to bed, you look at your to-do list for tomorrow. You go to bed reading scripture or talking to the Lord or reading uh, a prayer request. And you wake up saying, Lord, this is the day you've made. What do you have for me today? That is a disciplined life. When you're busy serving God, you don't have time to, oh, woe is me. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. We heard Colonel Chuck this morning say he personally has rescued 10,000 people from slavery. He just turned 60. He just retired from the Air Force uh, nine years ago. So what's he been doing in his retirement? And what have you been doing with yours? Kind of makes you feel shallow, doesn't it? So no, he's worked with non-for-profits all over the world to help deliver people from real slavery, not LeBron James, $55 million a year slavery. The more chaotic and insane the world becomes, and the Bible promises God will give people over to that delusion, the more you and I have to be disciplined in our thoughts, disciplined in our doctrine, disciplined in our emotions, disciplined in our day-to-day life, disciplined with our children, what they're allowed to do, not allowed to do, what they're allowed to say, not allowed to say. And the standard is always up. It's never coming down. Because we are at a war, not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. And we need to be prepared and disciplined. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21. So my message tonight is all about discipline, and this is why you won't like it, because you're probably thinking you're disciplined enough, and I would tell you you're not. Not for the day we're living in. The generation before us that lived in a great peace and a great organization was way more disciplined than this current society is. And they didn't even really need to be. But they didn't know anything less than. And every generation gets more and more lax and more and more lazy and finds more and more reason for more downtime. And we, we want to go to a four-day work week and 30 hours a week because, you know, I need a four-day weekend. And I, I, need, I need at least 96 hours off a week. We're looking for excuses to cater to the flesh more. But your life is designed to accomplish something and build something. And the more disciplined your life is, the better it will be. A disciplined life is a better life. Proverbs 21, verse 31. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety or victory is of the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but victory is of the Lord. There's four variables I see in this verse. Number one, a horse. That's a horse for riding on, a horse for, for chariots, a horse for charging. 
It's a war engine. Your second variable is the preparation or the regular training. The third thing I see there is the coming day of battle, which is guaranteed. And the fourth thing I see, which is not given or promised, is victory. So we got two things that are for sure. Number one, you got a horse called your life. And number two, you got a battle coming. And the fourth thing is totally dependent on the second thing. It's like having a gun but not knowing how to use it. Just because you have a life and a Christian doctrine doesn't mean you're disciplined with it. So the victory that's of the Lord is dependent upon how well your horse is prepared. So the whole implication here is there's two ways to apply this scripture depending on the scenario. One is prepare all you want, but we have to give credit to God. So that's one way to temper military pride. We have the biggest military, yes, but true victories of the Lord. But the other way to look at it is if you don't prepare, you give God nothing to work with. So think about what it takes to train a horse. Number one, you've got to break a horse. Which comes first? You know, the, the broken horse or the horse that you have bred, but it doesn't matter. You take a horse, you have to break it to submit it. Then you've got to train it to take a, a, a saddle, take, train it to take a rider. And then you've got to begin to train that horse to gallop to obey your commands, and you have to train it to not worry about what's on the left hand or on the right. Then you have to train it to not freak out when it hears people scream or war sirens or war drums. You have to train it to do everything, even if it means it's going to die. And that horse is not a stupid animal. You have to train it and train it and train it to be able to take you when you stand, to take you when you fall off, circle back around, pick you up. There's a lot of training. This is a full-time job. Then you have to start training other people to do what you've trained this horse to do with them. So now you're training the other soldiers. There's a lot that goes into this, but what if all you and I do is just have our horse? And we think we're blessed because I got a horse. Is it Mr. Ed? Is it Flicka? Is it Black Beauty? And what's your horse? What was, what was the Lone Ranger's horse? Silver. I should know that. What was Tonto's horse? It has to have a name. There was another famous horse. Trigger. Whose horse was Trigger? I was thinking of Trigger. That's not Tonto. Trigger. Just because you have a horse doesn't mean you've trained it or disciplined it to do anything. But there's still a battle coming. There's a battle coming for every one of us. We all have a horse. We all have a battle. We don't all have victory. And God is not to blame. We all have a horse presently called a life, a doctrine, a local church, a family, a Bible, the Holy Spirit. We have a horse and we all have a battle to fight and we all have fought battles, but we all don't walk in the same level of victory and it is not God's fault. I would tell you it's the fault of your personal discipline. Yes, sir. So we have to take ownership. We've been given the horse. We've been given the knowledge. We've been warned of the battle. And if we fall off that horse and lose, it will be all our fault. So we have to be disciplined. 
This is a day to be disciplined. This is not a day to be distracted. This is not a day to be discouraged. You don't have permission to be discouraged. you got to be like David and his mighty men who encourage themselves in the Lord. If you can just get it in your thick skull, discouragement will come, but you don't have permission to be discouraged. We'll allow you the falling to your knee when you're sucker punched by a circumstance. But then you get up and you look whatever it in the eye and let them fear for their own life. Like, oh, I wasn't expecting them to get up. We all have a horse. We all have a promised battle. But we don't all have the same level of victory because we don't all prepare that horse the same. We don't all get up every day with an intention, a purpose, a plan, an agenda, a bigger picture. Too many Christians still live for Friday. They still live for 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock or whenever you get off. They still live for the next movie to come out or the next game to be released. That is a shallow human existence. Some live for the next snack. Your life has got to be more than the next caloric reload. Some live for the next purchase. You've got to be bigger than the next dollar you spend or burn through. We have to have a big picture. So every one of us should have that. What are you wanting to do with your life? Where does your marriage need to be? Where does your health need to be? We've been saying it in our house more and more, though, though we are healthy people, that nothing tastes good as fitness feels. Nothing tastes good as being able to go out and run five miles on a whim and not even think twice about it. Nothing, feel, nothing tastes that good. Nothing you like is going to be worth that to me. What's your vision for your health? What's your vision for your finances? What's your vision for your kids? Because if you actually have a vision and you can see the battle coming, then every day you're preparing that horse for the imminent, impending battle. If you believe, God, you're going to get pregnant and have a kid, you've got to start saving up money. You've got to start looking at a bigger car if you're going to have a third kid or a fourth kid. Because it's against the law to put four kids in the back of a hatchback. If you think God's called them to college, and even if they don't, it's wisdom to start saving money the second they're conceived. But if you just live for the weekend, you're not saving money for the kid you just made. Making the kid is the easiest thing you'll do in their life, the rest of their life. It really ought to be a lot harder to make a kid than it is for everything else that comes after that. It ought to be like solving some kind of hexadecimal thing and you got to crack. The, it ought to be like mining Ethereum or something. You just got to crank on the algorithm a little bit. And after like six months of input and sweat and been, are you sure? Are you really sure? Let me see your savings account. Let me see your investments. All right. You have now earned the right to make a kid. Is that how it works? No. <laughs> we have a horse. We have a promised battle. The victory God wants to give us is dependent on our discipline. No discipline, no victory. You say, well, I'll call out on the mercy of God. Well, that's great. But at some point, mercy expects you to grow up. And I don't want to really live dependent on the mercy of God. I want to live dependent on the grace of God. And the grace of God comes to labor more abundantly than they all. So the disciplined life is a better life. And no matter how disciplined you are, there is still room to be more disciplined. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. So what if we stop and think about what's the last battle I lost? Was it with sickness? Was it with a career? Was it with a relationship? 
what's the last battle you lost? Because you're going to take it again. You're going to take that test again. Did, did I get out of credit card debt just to roll over and put another three grand on the credit card? Did I beat 50 pounds weight loss just to gain another 30? One of my pastor friends, I just saw him the other day, and I said, hey, pastor, you look great, man. Have you lost weight? He said, yeah. I said, well, how much? He said, well, since when? I said, pick. He said, well, since September, I've lost 50 pounds. I said, that's awesome, man. What are you doing? He said, suffering. <laughs> he said, <laughs> I said, what are you suffering? He said, the loss of many things. I said, well, good for you. He said, well, it's important. He said, I was about to become type 2 diabetic. And he said, I didn't want to be that. And I like what he said. I didn't want to be that. What's crazy is he's looking different in his face. It's just... I don't think it's just because his face is thinning up because he has a beard. So it's not like you can see a lot of it. I think it's determination. I think it's discipline. And I think it's crying out to God every day in this arena saying, God, help me. I don't want to be type 2 diabetic. Now, I don't mock it, but that's the type, that's the diabetes you earn. One guy said, they don't give that one away for free. You got to work for it. You got to work for it takes a lot of commitment to hit that bell. And so many folks say, well, they'll give me insulin. And they'll also take your feet away. So he's had to discipline his life. But unfortunately for him, and again, great man of God, I love him, respect him dearly. It took the threat of type 2 diabetes to wake him up. But some folks would just drive right through that. What's the battle you lost? Because you're going to have to pass that test again. And is it worth it to you to get up, train that horse, knowing the Philistines coming, the Amalekites coming? How do you know? Because you didn't beat them last time. You left them running, but you didn't beat them. And they're going to go home mad, gather more troops, and come back for your soul. So are you willing to put the effort in to stay up later, to get up earlier, to get things out of your life that don't really amount to anything right now in this season and make time for prayer and Bible study. Maybe you need to study something that's extra biblical that helps you in a disciplined life. Maybe you have to study budgeting. Maybe you need to study investments. Maybe you need to study dietary science. Maybe you need to study fitness. Something You need to invest in something that prepares this horse for the coming battle. God gives us the victory, but you have got to give him something to work with. And that's evident because he's not dragging anybody across the finish line. He drags people once or twice through mercy, and then he says it's time to crawl. Then he says it's time to walk. Then he says it's time to jog. Then he says you better run. And then he says you better pick up somebody, throw them over your own shoulder. How long will you have horses in your stable and defeat in your life? And in any church that gets this kind of training, you got a whole battalion of horses you're not using. We all know what to do in our life. We just don't want to do it. But we do expect somebody to get the victory for us. So let's go to another passage. I'm going to have Emma throw this up in the New Living Translation, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is very convicting in the New Living Translation. We'll throw it on the overhead. I'm not sure what verse I want to start in yet, Emma. So we'll go through this line upon line. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, in the New Living Translation. 
Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Stop there. Run to win. You know, in any race, there are people who are going to break land speed records, and then there's people dressed up like a giant pumpkin or a turkey or Snoopy or a cheerleader. Any, any marathon, any race you go to, there's always some idiot dressed up as a T-Rex. They want to say they ran a 10K in one of those T-Rex outfits. <laughs> and then there's a guy that shows up in skinny jeans and punk hair and wants to do his thing. Paul clears the air real quick. If you're going to run, bless God, run to win. If you're going to come to church, come to church to be a Christian. Come to church to be disciplined. Come to church to be changed. It's a commandment here. If you're going to run, then your intention is to win. Now, I think we understand there's going to be faster runners than us, but I'm going to beat my record. I call it a PR. I'm going to get a personal record. I may not be the fastest runner out here today, but this is going to be my best time ever because I've trained all month for it. Every time we serve God, every time we circle the mountain, we ought to raise the standard a little bit more and get more victory. Pastor Vaughn taught us around here 25, 30 years ago, every year you should get victory over that sin so it becomes smaller and smaller in your life. He used to say, if you're still dealing with the same sin to the same degree you're dealing with it tonight, you've not walked with God. In a year from now, if it's the same degree, you've not walked with God because that thing's not been defeated. It's not even shrunk. It's possible to come to church and get worse, but it's not God's fault. Just like it's possible to go to the gym and not get in shape. I, I tease the gym bros. You know, the gym bros are those that go and work out, but they take more pictures than they actually lift weight. They have all their little techniques and all that. But we also have church bros. And those are the ones that take pictures of the Bible more than they read it. Hashtag time with God blessed. There's their latte. They, they spend 30 minutes arranging everything. And then they throw all the bluish Instagram filters on it so it looks important, like they have a walk with God, but they're really just taking pictures of their time with God because they want the approval of man, not the anointing of God. Hashtag, here's a spirit, the scripture that really meant a lot to me today. Oh, verse 22. And they rack up 30,000 followers being a fraud. Those that walk with God don't have to hashtag it. You can hashtag church or do church. I think those that hashtag church aren't really doing church. Because if you're doing church, just do church. <laughs> it's an ego thing. And it's very immature. Next verse. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So he's likening us to athletes that ought to be disciplined in our training, just like training a horse for battle. Your every day should involve some kind of spiritual discipline and spiritual training. There is a time to rest. There's a time to relax. There's a time to watch a ball game and play a video game with your kid or checkers or whatever you want to do or go for your hobby. But every day there's a spiritual discipline. If all we're ever doing is sowing to the flesh, then all we'll ever reap is corruption. But if you want to reap peace and life eternal, you have to sow to the Spirit every day too. That's a disciplined life. 
There's not a person in here except for maybe a diabetic that has to have insulin that couldn't skip a meal a day. There's not a person in here that couldn't function off of 1,500 calories a day. It's not hard to do once you're disciplined. And the more sedentary your lifestyle that is, the more you sit around, which is most of our careers, the less you need to eat. But I'm mean, honestly, if you go to Starbucks to get a Frappuccino, you just drank 1,000 calories. I don't know why these pants are so tight. Well, because you have a Frappuccino addiction. <laughs> Let me get a venti Frappuccino. No whip. I'm, I'm watching calories, you know. <laughs> so that's like throwing the deck chair off a of Titanic, trying to lighten the load. Yes. That whipped cream is not your problem. It's the rest of this that's going to kill you. <laughs> Paul likens us to athletes disciplining our body in our training. And if the Olympians do it for a gold, and in Paul's day it was for a wreath, an olive wreath that would fade away within a week, how much more should we be disciplined and trained with our time, with our money, with our diet, with our children. If your children are wild at home, they'll be wild here. Now, coming here, kids are always a little, well, I would hope they're a little bit looser here than they are at home, but who knows, they might be tighter here than they're at home. There's always this variable. If they're wild at home, they're going to be wild here. So, and if they're wild at home, they're going to be wild at Walmart. And if they're wild at home, you're not going to want to go out to eat with them because they'll be an embarrassment. So if you want your children to behave in public, make them behave in private. I sometimes watch some of you and I wonder who's training who. Because when you learn how to command children, you can snap a finger and point and they walk to you because they know or else. There's a permission when they're like one or two that you have to run after them. But if they're like four and five and six and you're running after them, right there, stand by me. Don't move. Who's training who? So we discipline our time, our money, our body, our children, our marriage, our mind. If you don't discipline your mind, you'll lose your whole life. Because you'll prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. What if your soul's squirrely? What if your soul's fearful? What if your soul's paranoid? What if your soul's a daydreaming? What if your soul is just... You'll never have anything because you can't stay focused long enough. This is not the day and age to let your mind just drift. You have to be disciplined. If you're not disciplined in your mind, you'll always be daydreaming about food. You need to bring your mind into captivity concerning food. You need to have a healthy perspective of food. We eat to live. We don't live to eat. Amen. What you're about to eat won't be the last thing you get to eat today. So don't eat a hundred of them. And if every day is a cheat day, you have no discipline. Years ago, I was in a Spencer's Gifts. You know that little carnal store? All right, doesn't some of you are like, huh? And the younger people are like, huh? So I'm right there in the middle. 
So Spencer gives a pretty carnal store, but as a teenager, it was a cool thing to go into because they had whoopee cushions and stuff like that. Other stuff, which was way more sinful than I realized. I didn't know what I was at. But I remember there was one time a poster called 365 Reasons to Get Drunk. And it just went through all the holidays. Some of them you never heard of, but they were somebody's holiday, but that was a reason to get drunk. And then there's St. Patrick's Day, and then there's Christmas, and then there's New Year's, and there's Valentine's. Some of these days were holidays I recognize. And then it said freebie somewhere in there, your birthday, your anniversary. Some Christians, every day is a day to cheat and eat food. It's a special occasion. We only have special occasions on the days of the week that end in day. Or the days that start with T, today and tomorrow. <laughs> if you're undisciplined, you'll find an excuse to spend money and eat food. And your life will go nowhere if your food isn't controlled and your money isn't controlled. But to control both of those, you've got to control your mind. A disciplined life is a better life. And I'm watching our society. It isn't hard to beat the status quo in our society. Next verse, Emma. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. What does it mean to run with purpose in every step? It means that everything you do has permission, has a purpose, has a plan, and works towards a bigger picture. Everything you plan is planned. There is a place to shoot from the hip, but if all you ever do is shoot from the hip, your pants will fall down you got to be a little bit more organized than just always shooting from the hip. Paul said here in the New Living Translation, every step is purposed. You get up in the morning, you know what you're going to do. Even your downtime on Saturday, you've got it planned out. I've got three hours of nothing planned. Going to hang out, watch TV with my wife or my kids, or we're going to go in the backyard and throw the ball. And there is a permission to just come home and say, you know what? Let's just forget all this. Let's just go throw the ball. Let's just jump in the pool or let's just go get a, da a Dairy Queen because you've been so strict all week. There's a permission for that. But again, if it's today or tomorrow, you're always doing a Dairy Queen. I I'm trying to give you the balance. Right now, I don't think we're on the we need to loosen up end. I think we're on the you better pull your pants up, tighten them up, throw some suspenders and find another notch in the hole because you you're falling apart. Every step, Paul said, that he runs is purposed. There's no wasted effort. If you're going to climb up, you got to look at every step. If you backpack, you're watching every step. If you rock climb, every foothold is critical. If you do any kind of mountaineering and you have on crampons, every foot has to be positioned. If you ice climb, it's even more critical. If you want to just walk the easy route of like a leisurely retirement path, you don't have to watch where you walk, but you'll go nowhere. But if this is an upward climb, then every purpose, every step has a purpose. Every dollar saved has a purpose. Every activity has a purpose. Every sport you allow your child to participate in, you've prayed about. Every activity, every friendship you let them keep, you've prayed about. You've judged it. Every job you let them take, you pray about. It's not wise to work fast food when you have a, a fat problem. I didn't want to say fat, but it kind of came out. I'm going to say a, a weight problem, but it doesn't make wise sense. Why would you work fast food if you're struggling with your weight? If you're struggling with your weight, go work at an outdoor store or go work at a gym or 
go work at the recreation department. Go find something that forces you to walk around. Go work at a warehouse. How about you have your job be part of your solution and not let your job be part of your problem? I heard one great Southern Baptist preacher say, if you're an alcoholic, don't live next to the liquor store. He also said, if you're overweight, don't ever visit a buffet. Every step has to be purposed if you want to get somewhere. You only have so many steps in your life and then you're dead. You want to have gone somewhere in your life. You don't want to spend your steps going in circles like Israel did. Rejoicing over manna that was basically their death meal. Yay, supernatural. Yay, supernatural. You realize you've only eaten one thing for the last 40 years? Yeah, but it supernaturally comes in. Why don't you go get the next meal from God in the promised land? It's too much work. We want it easy. Every step is purposed. I'm not just shadow boxing. I think we understand what that is. You see the boxers, they're shadow boxing on the speed bag or on the dummy bag or on that, I don't know what the other one is, the tension bag. So they're just moving, bobbing, and weaving. They're not really hitting anything. Paul said, that's not, I'm, not, I'm not playing games here. Some Christians do. That shouldn't be us. We're not playing games here. This isn't a religious practice for us. This is the way of life. The more the spirit of chaos comes upon the earth, the more disciplined you and I have to be. It's almost like the expression, brace for impact. Brace for impact. When we go to the beach every summer and we jump in the waves and we hold the kids and they're on us and we say, here comes a wave that you can feel and tighten up on you, ready for that big wave. The impact is ramping up in the earth and we have to be more disciplined. Next verse, Emma. I discipline my body like an athlete, says no American Christian ever. But this is what the apostle said. And he wasn't speaking hyperbole. He was literally disciplining his body like an athlete. Training it to do what it should. So you mean your body doesn't want to do what it should? No. It has a sin nature. It has an appetite. We know through, the, through all of our dietary sciences, you take one bite of something sweet, all of a sudden it wants a lot more. So don't do sweet stuff. You can eliminate sweets out of your diet to where it's too much for you. You can begin to dial back sugar out of your coffee to where even one teaspoon of sugar is way too sweet. And the six you used to put in there tastes like syrup. If you want to beat life. But Paul, the apostle, the only one I found that says I finished my race, he said, I disciplined my body like an athlete. I train it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So this is a a concerning verse. He likens to an undisciplined body to being disqualified as a believer. I don't want to hit that too hard doctrine because it's the only verse I have that says it directly. But he says, I fear. I fear that if I don't take care of my body, I fear if I don't discipline my life, I fear that no matter how great a preacher I might be, if my life isn't put together, it'll disqualify me. From what? He doesn't say. 
The Greek word is reprobate, devoid of judgment. Castaway is how it's translated in the King James. This should settle into our life. Anytime you want to be lazy, you should remember Paul's fear. If he wasn't disciplined, he feared disqualification. There is no tenure in the kingdom. I don't believe there should be tenure anywhere. I believe you should qualify to obtain and qualify to maintain. I don't believe in tenured professorship. I don't believe in tenured pastorship. I don't believe in tenured squat because the sin nature will creep in and pervert that seat of authority. I don't believe there's tenure in the kingdom. I don't believe there's tenure for pastors, tenure for elders, tenure for deacons, tenure for worship leaders. We can all be disqualified and be sat down. We see with the kings, they're judged and God destroys them in the Old Testament when they get sinful and don't repent. So just because you, we, you and I begin a good work today doesn't mean we complete it, doesn't mean we finish it. I can tell you lots of stories of pastors who didn't discipline their body or their life and they lost their ministry. Some of them even lost their life. We have to be disciplined in the day that we live in. Anything you don't discipline, you risk losing. If you don't discipline time, you lose time. Don't we have that expression, whoa, look at the time. It got away from me. If you don't discipline your money, where did all the money go? If you don't discipline your kids, I don't know what happened to my kids. Of course we know what happened to them. We didn't discipline them. If you don't discipline your body, we have the expression, you let yourself go. So these are all areas God has given us as a stewardship. And they're all resources of power. Time is a resource of power. Your body is a resource of power. Your money is a resource of power. These are things given to us to build the kingdom. Your children are a resource of power. Your marriage is a resource of power. And if you don't discipline these things, you start to fold one resource at a time. So let's just, I don't know, maybe I could make a teaching out of it if I studied more. But let's say your time is a resource, your mind is a resource, your body is a resource, your money is a resource, your marriage is a resource, and your children are a resource. Let's just say there's six resources to life. We might be able to come up with a seventh, but it doesn't matter for the sake of the concept. If you don't discipline these six areas, you'll lose them. If you don't discipline your marriage, which would come back to disciplining your mind, you could lose your marriage to divorce. So there's one resource now taken away from you with which you had to fulfill your calling and run your race. What if you don't discipline your time and you just waste it on video games or Facebook or social media or hobbies or sports or whatever your thing is, then you forfeit it. Now you're just down to four resources with which God has given you to fulfill your calling and run your race. So now if you had a V6, now it's a four-banger. What's that knocking in your engine? It's your undisciplined life. So one, then what if you don't discipline your body? And all of a sudden you start to become sickly. It's easier to be overweight when you're young. But it catches up. I think some folks, if they don't take care of their body, they peak in their 30s. And in your 30s, you still got 50 years left to live. So if you don't take care of your body, you start to lose it. And now you're down to three resources to finish your race. 
that leaves your money, your mind, and your kids. But truth be told, if you're not good with these other three, what are you giving your kids? You've taught your kids that they don't need to discipline their time, their money, or their body, and probably not their mind. So then you lose your kids. So now you're down to your money and your mind. But truthfully, all along, the issue was the mind to begin with. And if your mind's not disciplined, you sure don't have the money. So if six resources God gives us to run our race and finish our course, if we're not disciplined, we start to fold them like dominoes. How will we run our race? What will we give our kids? Will they become greater than us or twofold more the child of hell than us? So we have a horse. We have a battle coming. And the victory is dependent on our preparation. So the question is, what are you going to do with it? This has been like the thrust of my message for 15 years, trying to get us to come up, to be disciplined, to teach it to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. What will you do with it? In the end, it's our walk with God. That's all there is. And you and God is the majority, so you can't be stopped so long as you obey. So what is lacking in discipline? What area is not disciplined? That's, that's what we got to aim at. What area is not disciplined in our life? In your marriage, discuss it. With your children, discuss it. We're fasting for 21 days. Maybe we practice fasting something that isn't disciplined. Whatever, whatever robs you of discipline, fast that thing. Sports, video games, social media, coffee, Coca-Colas. Everybody's got something different. Fast it. We only have so many steps in our life. We only have so many years. And yet whatever our calling is, it would be unjust if God gave it to us and we couldn't fulfill it in our lifetime. But we are living in a time and a day where there's a trillion distractions begging for our attention and the, the demon realm just wants to see which one's our hook. The algorithm knows and starts feeding you your hook. So what will your life be uh, defined by in five years, ten years? What's your life defined by right now? That's what you have to consider. It's a simple principle. Whatever you're currently doing produces the life you have. You can't keep doing the same thing and have a different life. So if you change nothing, nothing changes. And oh, we can be so convicted tonight and take so many good pages of notes and oh, that was so good, Pastor, and still change nothing. And like, oh, Lord, you're right. He's dealing with me again, Lord. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And you can cry me another river and drown yourself in it because it doesn't fix anything. Fixing stuff fixes stuff. I mean, there's also, I ought to write like motivational books. <laughs> I ought to be the next Zig Ziglar. Better. I'm better. Thank you, Steve-O. <laughs> Favorite sheep award right there. How to be the next John Maxwell. I mean, <laughs> be the you you've always wanted to be. And enjoy your Tuesday. I mean, I could sell a million books with that kind of garbage. Or I can just 
breathe on you and demand you change because your God does. Because your life is worth more than to live according to the flesh. Now, one last verse here, Romans 8. And we're going to finish up a little bit early because I'm not fasting sports and I want to watch a game. I'm just kidding. I, I, I've got no skin in the game tonight. It is funny, isn't it? I'm not, football's fun for me, but I don't follow it. I do want to point out that my Seattle Kraken shut out the Boston Bruins the other night when our only two resident Bruin fans were at my house watching the game. It was like the Super Bowl, World Series, Stanley Cup, all in one night for me. I even offered that dear, 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 sweet couple when they walked into my house. We had all of our Kraken apparel on the back of the couch. We were going to let them change their poverty garments that had this giant yellow bee. It was obnoxious. I was like, I mean, you got that from the homeless shelter. We can get you better clothes here. <laughs> cracking hats, cracking sweatshirts, cracking jerseys, cracking hoodies. You just pick it. They said, no, 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 no. We have the team to beat. And they did. They got beat. <laughs> Shut out at home by my Seattle Kraken. <laughs> So then Mark, <laughs> then Mark, Mark asked some question about, you know, so what position is it like? Mark, I don't know who these guys are. I just like the team. I got Beneers and I got Grubauer. That's all I know. Grubauer's the goalie. He's not even that good. And Beneers is the forward we got from Canada. He's like the center, I think, if that's a position. He scores a lot. That's all I know about hockey. And we beat the Baltimore Bruins at home. Their home, not ours. Where what are they, Mark? They were undefeated in regular time all season. Not anymore. Seattle Kraken shut them out at home in regular time. Mark, I can't hear you. Let the women remain silent in the church. Anyway, my point is I'm more hockey than anything. Did you find Romans 8 yet? Yeah. Romans 8 for the win. Unlike the Bruins the other night. Kraken did win 8-5 to five last night. Felt pretty good about that win as well. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh. This will always be a challenge. It doesn't ever get easier. There are certain disciplines you can put into your life and your flesh begins to learn the pattern. And it seems like just when you master the 5 a.m. alarm clock, something else falls apart. And it's almost like a built-in governor that makes sure you need God. Lord, I mastered 5 a.m. Now I can't stay up late enough to finish the stuff at night. Or I mastered 5 a.m., but Lord, I'm drinking five sodas a day. You're always going to have something you're resisting in order to walk not in the flesh, but after the Spirit. Verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do obey or mind, direct their mind toward the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit do direct their mind toward the things of the Spirit. So we need to make sure that we are spiritually minded and not flesh minded. Flesh minded means we're undisciplined. Flesh minded means we're undisciplined. And it is a frame of mind. You have to begin to prepare yourself and say, this is what I'm going to do. It's why the New Year's resolution is such a powerful phenomenon. We're going to make things different come the stroke of midnight. And everybody, what was this year's thing? New year, new me? No, no. New year, same you, just hashtagging a different thing with a different flag from a different country who you support. 
that you can't locate on a map. <laughs> should be able to have to pinpoint where that country is before you can put their flag on your little Twitter handle. And you should make sure you get it right, too, because a lot of flags look the same. Is that Mexico or is that Germany? <laughs> There's a big difference there. Is that France? Is that Italy? You should know your flags before you start posting them to support whatever cause you don't understand the geopolitical repercussions of. <laughs> Verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. That is to obey the flesh, carnally minded. The my, my, my margin of my Bible says the minding of the flesh. To obey your flesh is death. Now let's balance that just for a second. It doesn't mean if you're hypothermic and shivering, you should disobey that. Obey hypothermia and get inside. If you haven't eaten in four or five days and you're not fasting and you're hungry, you should eat something. You can tell that your blood pressure's low and your blood sugar's low. You should eat something. So it's not talking about disobeying survival. Because somebody's going to ask that question. Well, what if I'm cold? Should I disobey that? What if I'm overheating? Should I disobey that? Come on, please work with me. Use some common sense here. The context is living sinfully, living carnally. The minding of the flesh is death. The more undisciplined we are, the more chaos reigns in our life the more chaos reigns in our life. But to be spiritually minded, or that is the minding or obeying uh, obedience to the Spirit, is life and peace. So the more we obey the things of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God calls for discipline, I understand there's a place where you can become so legalistic, it's crushing, but we're not there tonight. That's one ditch we don't want to get into. We're not anywhere near that ditch. We haven't even hit the rumble strips nearing that ditch. We're not even in the middle of the road. We're over here trying to pull out of lazy. We're here buried up to the axle in this ditch called, I'm free, and grace will cover me, and I'm hungry. Though you just ate 30 minutes ago. Yeah, but there's food in the pantry. That's where you should keep it until the next mealtime. I remind you, we are a culture that carries snacks in our purse or man purse for if we get hungry in between breakfast and brunch. We carry food in glove compartments and center consoles in case we get hungry on the commute to work. That's this culture. Where most cultures in the world, they might eat one major meal a day and spend all day collecting it to prepare it. The minding of the flesh is death, but the minding of the spirit is life and peace because the minding of the flesh makes you God's enemy. That's a harsh verse. Let me see if it says that. I'm kind of giving you the Greek translation from the margin of my Bible. I'm going to go to Romans here in another translation. Let's see what it says there in verse 7. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Verse 6 says, this is New Living Translation, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Let's throw that up, uh, Emma, if you can. Go to Romans 8 in the New Living Translation. We'll begin in verse 5, Romans 8, 5. Let's just look at this, and then we'll, we'll pray. And hopefully you've received something tonight about being disciplined. Romans 8, 5 in the New Living Translation. 
Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. Next verse. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Verse 7. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Verse 8. Let's see verse 8. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. That's a hard verse. Those controlled by fleshy appetites can never please God. I might, if you would give me permission, add in that area. Because I believe you can please God in other areas because you are obeying the Spirit and have this other area the Lord's dealing with you about because you're not pleasing Him there. So let's not throw everybody out with the bathwater and say, because you're struggling with three areas, God hates you and He's done with you and you're not pleasing Him in others. But at the same time, let's not rest on the areas we please God and ignore the areas that displease Him. Can we agree to that? I don't mean to add to Scripture, but I do want to try to encourage you from a very hard verse. What we ought to do is find out how we got victory in some areas and roll that over to areas we lack in. In the end, what we're saying is, don't let your flesh control you. You control your flesh. Famous Smith Wigglesworth quote was, Smith Wigglesworth doesn't ask Smith Wigglesworth how Smith Wigglesworth is doing. Smith Wigglesworth tells Smith Wigglesworth how Smith Wigglesworth is doing. That's you commanding yourself. Get up, we're going to prayer now. Get up, we're going to go make breakfast now. Get up, now we're going to go for a walk. Then we're going to go to work and we're going to have a good attitude. You command yourself. Some of us need to control our time better. We could all control our money better. And always be mindful, the things that you maybe can get away with, your kids probably can't, and you might be setting them up for destruction. So be mindful that how you live may not be how your kids need you to live. Be willing to live for your grandchildren through training your children properly. There's a lot to be said on this, but we're in the new of the, new of the year, new part of the year. And we're fasting, so this is a good time to strike on discipline and fasting and appetites and getting our lives together. No condemnation meant here for anybody, but if the shoe fits, wear it. And if you have 100 pairs of shoes, you probably hang out with James Jr. too much. So maybe dial that back. Where's Jr. even in here? He's probably in the back. There he is, Jr., looking all like an Auburn fan or an Alabama fan back there, all maroon. And Figure out what needs to be discipline. There's always more room for discipline. Carve out more time. I don't ever want to hear anybody say, I don't have the time. You have just as much time as the next person. What you maybe say is, I don't know how to control my time. We need to make sure we manage everything. These six resources God gives us. Don't let them fold on you. Amen.